So hello, I'm Anke Herman and I'm listening to the Culture Matters podcast. Build your cultural competence. Listen to interesting stories. Learn about the cultural fails and how to avoid them. Get the global perspective here at Culture Matters on International Business. Your host, Chris Smith, has a plan. A plan for people who are looking for a solution. He makes you understand cultural diversity better by interviewing real people with real experiences. Every episode, he interviews a prominent guest who will tell you his or her story and share international experiences, making you more cultural competent. And now, here's your host, Chris Smith. Good morning, good evening, uh, or good afternoon is also possible, of course. My name is Chris Smith, and you're listening to the Culture Matters podcast. We're on episode number 132, the first one of the year 2020. That is, of course, if you're listening in the future. And if you have not subscribed to this podcast, this is actually a real good moment to do so. Um, our guest for today is Anke Hermann. Anke Hermann is originally from Germany, East Germany to be precise. She lived in Australia and the UK before. In 2004, she decided to quit her IT job in London to move to Spain and start a sewing business with nothing but a love for sewing and plenty of enthusiasm. Eight years and countless demanding Spanish clients later, she was burned out and started her own journey of self-discovery, which ultimately led to her to become a coach, a personal coach. So she now helps other free spirits with a strong analytical mind and a big idea turn their passion into a real business. And she's also finally the host of the Passion Business Podcast. It's time for this week's guest at Culture Matters. Anke, good morning or good afternoon or good evening. Actually, I don't really know where you are. I have a vague idea. Um, so, but I mean, in order to um, uh, to get things going, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, um, where you are right now in the world, and what is your so-called cultural frame of reference? That's a long introduction, but nonetheless. Yeah, well, I'm originally from Germany. Well, actually, East Germany, to be precise. And it has, like, that having grown up behind the wall, has I always feel has a lot to do with my um, almost obsession to get out and experience all the things that I wasn't meant to be able to experience. Uh So at the moment, I'm um, based in the south of Spain and have been for the last 16 years. And... It's actually quite funny because the longer I'm away from Germany, the more I feel German. Like I never felt like really I belonged to Germany when I lived there, especially after the wall came down. And and so there was basically, you know, East Germany as it was didn't exist anymore. So there was West Germany and that was kind of vaguely familiar, but didn't really feel like home. Mm-hmm. And so I really didn't have that sense of feeling rooted. And that's my you know, that's my home somehow. And that's why leaving it in 94 wasn't difficult at all. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I've really noticed over the, especially over the last few years that I'm very immersed in the Spanish culture and the Spanish way of, of life. But boy, do I feel German. quite often. <laughs> 
Okay, so you're you're a German uh, or East German, and now you live in the south of Spain. And um, there's a bit of history before that because you did move around the world. Yeah. We'll get to that in a moment, if that's okay. Uh, but then you you triggered again an interesting question. You feel very German. How does a German feel? Well, what is that feeling, and how is that different from being Spanish or the Sp- the Spanish well, life that you've been experiencing for such a long time, actually? Yeah, yeah. It's it's um. You know how there's always these cliches about what, uh, you know, Germans, they're very correct and, you know, and they're all engineers and, you know, and very, very, um, this very strict work ethic. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, and living in Spain, there definitely is a contrast in, in, in attitude, right? If, Uh if, if, and it's quite often, I actually find, and I found that in other places I've traveled to as well the very thing that attracts you to a place, uh-huh. right? Because it is so different, that laid back attitude and that manana attitude, oh yeah, no big deal. You know, that is, is really attractive when you come from a society where it's all like, you've got to be functional and it's got to be right and, and well-structured. So that is super appealing. Yeah. But boy, when you have to get something done, it can drive you mad, <laughs> you know? And it's, <laughs> it's because then all of a sudden it's like, yeah, it's that's fine until you need something. Yeah, you know, and and then and then I actually feel like I'm the one who argues for precision and who argues uh-huh. for, for work ethic and for argues for for getting the job done right rather than finish it as quickly as possible with at least with the least amount of effort possible. You know, so. It's funny. I notice myself being the nagging, the nagging German. Like mostly, I won't argue it loud, loud. But I notice my my self talk. You know, mm-hmm, to think, mm-hmm. boy, you know, I could just like <laughs> do that little extra step to get it done right, rather than just like you know, dodge it so that it gets done quickly and we can right. go out into the pub. That's that's interesting. That's, yeah, I'm thinking about this. I just came back from, uh, well, that was last month. I had a couple of days in Germany with a client indeed. And um, uh, in Munich, which is the, um, well, the, 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 I was going to say the heart of Germany, which is not really true, I guess. But indeed, it's it's um, it's not really exciting, but everything always works in Germany. You go to Germany and it's yeah. like it's like there's pork for breakfast and pork for dessert and anything in between is also pork. And again, I'm exaggerating with this, of course. Um, but everything indeed is, is, it works. It's square. It always, always, always works. And, um, I came back from Guatemala just, uh, just the, the, the other week, really. And we're recording this in January 2020, by the way, just for people listening to this in the future. And indeed, I was about to do a presentation there at a university and they just couldn't get the technique to work. And that wouldn't just <laughs> never happen in Germany. And everybody shrugs their shoulders and it's like, okay, well, sorry for that, guys. And everybody goes home and that's it. And I just look around. It's like, okay, go with the flow. And I go home as well. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. Um, after so many years yeah. in Spain, you you speak the language well? Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. I speak, <laughs> I speak Spanish faster than the Spanish. Yeah. Oh, definitely. God. Okay. And I think that's, I always, I, I think for me, the even the, the door to a new culture is always the language like mm-hmm. that. I think learn like it's, it was the language learning that even that was the first thing that sparked my curiosity, that right. idea of like, how, how does that work? That other people call things a diff, like 
different names and uh-huh. just have a different way of speaking. I found that endlessly fascinating. Yeah. And I never, I sometimes, you know, when you see these, these TV programs where they accompany p- people who kind of go and move to a different country. And even like it's, you have it a lot in Spain, there's a lot of English speakers, there are a lot of Germans who come to live here, but they're actually looking for Germany with nicer weather or uh-huh. England with nicer weather. Yeah. So they don't really integrate. And I always feel like they always sort of, they never really get to know Spain uh-huh. or whatever, you know, like it doesn't really matter where it is, but Spain as an example, they never really get to experience what it's really like. Mm-hmm. You yeah. can't speak the language. You never, you know, you can't watch television. And if you don't understand the jokes, that somebody, True. you know, it's like you only sort of look in from the outside in. And for me, that's never really been appealing. Like, I want to be really a part of it and really understand it. And the language is a vital part of that. Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah, makes good sense. Yeah, I very, very much agree with that as well. Uh, in terms of um, my love for Latin America and the fact that I'm um, trying to master some of the language, at least, indeed, um, and which is, by the way, not an easy feat to do. Um, Anka, there's a. <clears throat> I want to st- take a, st- a couple of steps back and sort of go over your introduction a bit because it's. Um, it seems to be all over the place. You're born in Germany, Eastern Germany. You lived in Australia and the UK. You decided to quit your job, move to Spain, sewing business. And uh, then there is this this talk of uh, demanding Spanish. I want to talk this Spanish yes. clients, that is. I want to talk about that as well in a moment. Um, then there becomes, uh, there's there's a burnout. And now you're a coach and you do a podcast as well. So... Yes. <laughs> Now we either summed up this podcast and we can, we can wrap it up right now, but I'm actually curious to know. So how do you end up in, in IT going to Australia, the UK, et cetera? If you can elaborate a little bit about, uh, on that and how that is as a German. Yeah. I think that was actually quite sort of me going with the flow, uh-huh. really. You know, basically I had a thing for languages always. So yeah. I went to uni, I studied languages, and I ended up uh, getting my degree as a translator. And the first job I had was in a German engineering company. And it happened to be that that co- company got bought by an Australian company. Mm-hmm. So And then they sent a bunch of Australians over to take over the thing, basically. And that's where I met who was to become my husband. Okay. And when his contract finished... It was like, okay, so you've got to go back to Australia. What are we going to do? And um, so that's when we decided that I'd go to Australia with him. Mm-hmm. right? So, and that was sort of the first time that I really got a taste of what happens when you think you talk about the same thing, but mm-hmm. you actually aren't. You know, where I sometimes th- think that cultural differences have a lot more impact when when they're sort of more hidden, because if you speak to somebody Chinese, right, and you have a language problem, for example, like, you know, you know, well, we actually have to double check everything because our cultures are so far apart. There's a good chance that we're not talking about the same thing or that we're not really understanding each other. Right. But when you speak to an Australian whose parents were actually had German roots. Yeah. There was that assumption that when we speak the same words, we were actually talking about the same thing, which turned out to be like way off, 
even even though had, even though you would actually possibly assume that these cultures would be closer together, that exactly. the, the little differences can actually make a real big difference. Yes. Uh-huh. Yes. And the and the and the the, the, cru- the like the crucial part of that was that we decided to get married, right? And for me, in my with my East German background, that was like okay, that was the piece of paper we needed so that I could work in Australia. Right. Right. But it, for me, it didn't really change or impact the relationship. While, whereas he had like a totally different idea of what that meant. <laughs> it meant settling down, you know, you staying at home, having kids. And I'm oh. like, hell no. <laughs> you know, like, and so, well, you know, as you can imagine, we didn't last all that long. So, <laughs> yeah, like th- that marriage didn't make it beyond two years. Okay. And um, so I stayed longer in Australia. But, um, but yeah, so that was really... I think the cultural difference was the attractive thing that got us together, but it was actually also what, you know, led to the separation. And so I came to Australia with that idea, oh, you know, we live in Sydney. It's a very multicultural place, which is fantastic. Mm -hmm. And so I thought finding work as a translator was going to be really easy. Boy, was I wrong. Because there were really only two scenarios. There were people who had like a, full-on English background, mm-hmm. and they would look like, oh, different languages, what's the big deal? Like, I don't know. You know, like they're kind of, well, yeah, sounds difficult, but I don't really know anything about it. So meaning I'm not prepared to pay for, for the skill. Uh-huh. And then there were the other people and uh, lots of people there who have a background where, you know, they're, yeah, you know, I'll clean us Portuguese. And, yeah, no, my mom came from wherever, like everybody speaks a second language. You know, what's the big deal? Yeah. So there's really the strong sense that nobody valued translation skills. So there was forever difficult to find a job to start with. And then it was like the worst paid job I've ever had, the most stressful job that didn't pay anything, literally. And so I kind of thought after five months, like, no, like, I'm not gonna like this. Isn't I'm not gonna keep doing that. Mm-hmm. And so I basically blindly sent it out, sent out my resume, hmm. like to kind of anybody would have it. Yeah. And I ended up in a software develop, in a software company, and and that's when I'm like, hmm, you know, what's this programming thing? I kind of like it. And and I was very lucky because the boss I had gave me loads of freedom, okay. and and so he let me basically do my thing. Yeah. And, uh, and supported me in any possible way. And I basically dug my way into, into this whole world of programming, very encouraged by colleagues. And, and, um, and I found it was like, oh, actually, it's just like learning a language, just easier because you don't have all the, you know, the culture and all the jokes and sure. all the things that go outside of the pattern. So it's a lot more structured and you learn your vocabulary and your grammar and you're off. And, and, and so your I'm, German and structure is fine. It's nice. Absolutely. Yeah. Exactly. And my dad is an engineer. My grandpa was an engineer. So that structure, you know, goes with me. So uh-huh. I really, really took to it. And, you know, it, it was also in in the late 90s when there was it was just starting up and there was a lot of demand and very few people who could sort of do it. And so it was really easy to get into it, to get a job. And and so I really sort of stumbled into it and just loved it. Okay. And then that whole, like in Sydney, it was said, well, oh, if you have worked in London, because, you know, Sydney is like Australia, sort of, they're kind of very far away. And there's always that sense that, you know, we are sort of a, 
the margin of it and real life, you know, progress happens in Europe. Uh And so there was basically that notion that if you've worked in London, your career is made. You know, you just have to have a couple of contracts in London and then you come back and you can choose your jobs. And so with that wave, I went to London with the idea to stay about six months or a year. Uh And well, that's how that's not how it happened. I ended up, you know, one contract led to another. And and uh, so I ended up staying five years in London, in the UK, in London. Yeah. Yeah. Working in IT. Uh Good. Yeah. And then I went on a holiday to Peru. And, and so, and I remember literally the moment that I knew that I wasn't, I was going to leave the IT industry hmm. because I was in the, in the Andes, in the mountain, in some remote little Andes village. And this little old man, like he would carve out a little box out of a pumpkin and he goes to me, and you, what do you, what do you do? Uh-huh. And I'm like, boy, how am I going to explain that now? You know, like <laughs> I work in like software who does like risk assessment algorithm, whatever. And I'm like, what am I doing? You know, and it was really that sense like, God, life should be simpler than that. Uh-huh. And so, yeah, there was this seed there that, you know, I don't think I'm going to stay on the track I'm on. And um, so, yeah, and then I came back and I kept studying Spanish just for the fun of it. Yeah. And ended up going to Granada on a holiday thinking, boy, you know what? I'd love to live here. There's something about this place. And that's how that all, whole idea, what would I do for a living, came about. You know, it was like, what would I do? And it was actually literally the first time that I didn't just go with the flow, but mm-hmm. consciously stopped to think, like, what would I really love to do? And and, um, and then and then you decide all of a sudden to step out of IT, go to Spain, leave London yes. behind, with um, yep. possibly a limited knowledge of Spanish or, or some some, yep. some knowledge of Spanish at least. And then you start yep. doing a, a sewing business. Yes, <laughs> because that was like what popped up to me when I sat back thinking, what would I love to do if I didn't have to worry about language or money or paperwork, qualifications? Uh-huh. If I could just do anything I wanted. Yeah. And I like I knew I was actually in the like when I was thinking that I was cutting a summer dress on my dining table and I had some flamenco music playing in the background. I'm like, yeah, that I'd have a little sewing studio made to measure. And I was initially going looking at flamenco inspired fashion. Mm-hmm. And then turns out that it was actually the dancers who'd get their costumes custom made so that was like oh and i'd i mean sewing had been a hobby for me all my life like okay. i started when I, was, I, know, when I was five or something like that so i knew how to sew but i hadn't really sewn for other people and yes i only had some bad sort of you know intermediate basic intermediate spanish uh-huh. and um yeah i didn't really know <laughs> didn't really know much about anything but but um in hindsight i think that was probably a good thing because you know it's that naivety that also helps you not talk yourself out of it. And I was really, I didn't go in with the idea, oh, you know, I must make this work. It was like it's pulling at me with a strength that I feel I don't want to ignore. And I want to give it a go and see what happens. I just don't want to find myself 10 years later looking back thinking, hmm, I wonder what life in Spain would have been like. Mm-hmm. But I'd rather go for it. I'd rather try it out, 
and if it goes pear-shaped, then so what? You yeah. know, then I just go back to London and I get another IT job, but then I have it out of my system. So that was more, more, it was a strong enough pull to not ignore it. Right. Okay. And, but so, so in, a, in, I was thinking in terms of, of uh, reading your bio. So the sewing, the sewing has nothing to do with Spain per se. Well, in the sense that I decided to specialize in the most Spanish garment you could probably make, uh -huh. possibly make. Flamenco yeah. So dressing. I went for yeah. the flamenco dresses. Yeah, yeah. In that sense. Okay. And then also you talk in the, in your introduction, you talk about demanding, uh, eight years yes. and countless demanding Spanish clients. How do you, yes. as a, as a, as a, as a German, how do you deal with the, with the Spaniards then? And why would you call them demanding? Well, that was actually the biggest learning. And I think it was the biggest culture shock that came, like, it was so unexpected. You know, because I went to Spain, started that business, and I obviously wasn't sure whether that was even whether my crazy idea was even possible. But I expected the challenge to be, well, will Spanish dancer trust some German would-be dressmaker enough to get their stuff made? Mm -hmm. Right. So I was always worried that I wouldn't get enough orders or that people wouldn't trust me or they would think, well, you know, who are you to think you can come here and make our thing right yeah. so that was the challenge i expected and it turned out it wasn't that wasn't the problem at all okay it turns out that people heard oh she's german oh so that means she she's excellent craftsmanship very reliable like all the german cliches were actually worked in my favor right and so people would give me a level of trust that i didn't actually expect you know, and really didn't earn. It was just, just sort of the German cliche. But what did strike me was that people were incredibly outspoken about what they wanted, right? Mm -hmm. And and I'd been there like a, what you'd call a people pleaser all my life. My mum said to me when I was 10, you know, she said, God, you know, you allow your friends to walk all over you. You don't mm -hmm. know how to say no. And I never really mm -hmm. felt that in a sense I never felt taken advantage of and living in Australia or the UK like I never had a problem with any of that so that was never the sense that people would take advantage of me and then I come to Spain and I start my own business thinking that my job is to give my clients what they ask for yeah right and then all of a sudden they ask for oh you know I don't have time to come to your place I need you to bring that dress up to, to the theater hmm. on a Sunday at hmm. 11 p.m., hmm. right? And and so, like, initially I was like, what? Like, you shouldn't even ask that. You know, you shouldn't, <laughs> you, you shouldn't make me have to, I shouldn't have to say no to stuff like that. You shouldn't even ask it. Yeah. You know, what I thought was reasonable to ask for was, like, totally different from what Spanish people feel reasonable to ask for. And... Even when I mustered the courage to say, no, I can't do that, they wouldn't even take no for an easy answer. Uh -huh. And that really made life for a people pleaser like unbearable because initially also it's fine when you have three clients, but when you have like 20 projects going on at the same time and everybody, there was that sense that everybody's pulling and everybody wants something mm -hmm. and everybody, you know, a new client would have already heard from the other one, yeah, you just tell her to bring it to your house and she'll come, right? Mm -hmm. And then I 
there thinking I couldn't say no because then she'd get upset because I'd done it for the other one. <laughs> and so all of a sudden, you know, you run around and try and please hmm. all these people who never seemed to be pleasable. Like, you know, there was it seemed to be it was never enough. <laughs> there was always like whatever you do, <laughs> there's always then wanted quicker or wanted cheaper or wanted whatever. Something. But what this yeah, and that was really but the like it really led me like well I'm quite a masochist obviously because it took eight years for me to kind of get to a point where I said well look you know like this is enough uh -huh. I'm not having any more of that uh -huh. and because the whole and it was literally like I had just finished a project where I'd worked through you know four nights uh, three nights and four days yeah. literally I slept like 20 minutes on the floor next to the dog so I wouldn't be comfortable <laughs> and, and not wake up until after the performance mm -hmm. and so that was the moment where I thought, you know what, if live your dream, if that's what that is, I really want nothing to do with it. And if putting my foot down, as it felt to me, meant that my clients would stay away, then so be it. And that's when I then started to actually say no when somebody asked something that I didn't want to do. Mm -hmm. And that's when penny drop because next time somebody came said oh i need you to do this and that and i'm like no sorry i can't do that and she go okay i'll pick it up on monday then <laughs> it was that easy to say no as well i know and i'm like hang on a second you know and that's really when it dawned on me that the whole time that whole sense of pressure that had been built up to a point that you know you'd bump into the street and say hey how are you and i'd burst into tears that it hadn't actually come from, and that's why I now say you're demanding clients in like in quotes. Yeah. Because it's like, oh no, they just used to asking for what they want, mm. and they can't, they can't even imagine. Because they say, well, I just ask you, you know, you don't have to do it if you don't want to do it. You just say so. Yeah. You know, and they just even imagine that that could be a problem for somebody. You know. And, and so that and that's when I realized, well, yeah, they ask for all sorts of things, but boy, they can also take a no. Yeah. Yeah, no, it makes makes good sense. And, 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 and that is but I mean, it seems like you're going through a number of transitions here, like uh, uh, you, you put aside IT, started a sewing business in Spain, because that it was that was a conscious decision. And mm. but now are you doing something totally different again? I mean, you went through a cycle of even a deeper level of self discovery, I guess. Yeah, I think, and it was really after, after that realization, uh -huh. I think, oh God, you know, all that stress, all that pressure, I'd actually brought that onto myself. Yeah. You know, because for so long I'd been thinking that I had a cultural problem because those kind of demands that I found were unreasonable, that didn't happen with Canadian clients or UK clients or clients from elsewhere. Right. It just literally only ever happened with Spanish clients. So I was convinced for a very long time that I had a cultural problem, yeah. you know, until I realized, well, no, you've just made up a story about what would happen if you said no, you know. Yeah. And that was really the moment when I thought, I I mean, with all the burnout and all the exhaustion, whatever, I still, even then, thought that creating my own business and design my life the way I wanted was the best thing I'd done. Uh -huh. 
but boy, it didn't really need to be that hard. Mm-hmm. You know, so, and it was like, if I can help just one other soul to make this work in a, in a less stressful and less draining way, then I want to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, people would say, oh, you should write a book and, you know, and all the stories <laughs> about the, the Spanish flamenco dancers and, you know, <laughs> yeah, I'd be easily filling a book. But, but it was like, you know, a book is just, it's just like my story. And that's like, no, I want to help other people get through their own stuff because some, for some it'll be, oh, I kind of, mm, I'd rather be a good person than charge or then have a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Other people have this whole thing. Am I good enough? So everybody has their own demons that show up. You know, so and I thought, and that's how I then ended up going back to and to train as a as a coach, so I could really help other people make their dream work mm-hmm. and 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 get that business off the ground in a way that is sustainable and and doesn't doesn't wear them out. And so I basically came around full circle because now I work a lot of with with people who build a sewing business and. You know, basically anybody who's got a passion that they want to turn into a business. And I also now bring in the tech skills because a lot of the time people have this like, oh, online tech, you know, it's like this is kind of really scary and whatever. And for me, it's super easy. So it's it's now the sense that, you know, I'm at the point where in my work I can actually bring in everything, the uh-huh. creative part and the structure part and the tech geeky part and and uh, and the intuitive side of it, so it's uh-huh. like it's like it feels really grounded now. So, how, how, to what extent does because I mean, being German, Eastern German, because uh, you've yeah. emphasized that being to some extent different from the the Western German or Germany as it is as we know it right now, Australian experience, British experience, um, a bit Latin America, but predominantly Spanish experience. To what extent does does that help you in in the work that you do? At this moment, I mean, absolutely. How does how does that how is that beneficial? Because it it helps in a way to see through the things that we think this is how things are, but they are actually just beliefs or or habits or you know cultural traditions, and that isn't who somebody really is. It, I think it makes a, like room for a lot more empathy and uh-huh. compassion uh-huh. because it's, it's, you're a lot less likely to judge somebody because somebody does something that you think is kind of, oh, that's kind of a bit weird. Mm-hmm. But before you rush into, well, no, they should have done this and they should have said that and whatever – you think, well, actually, hang on a second. You know, whatever they did made sense to them, given yeah, yeah, right. how they yeah. see the world. Right. You know, and I think that step in the middle makes a huge difference because okay. people also react differently when they notice that they're not being judged. True. And 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 your client base are they only Spanish or are they European or worldwide even? Worldwide, like I don't really work with a lot of Spanish clients. It's mostly UK, Australia, US. Ah, okay, right. Okay. Yeah, but it's like, yeah, inter- because it's all online, so it's international. But um, yeah, pretty much all over the place, but mostly mostly that. Okay, fair enough. I just had a question which I've written down here um, while you were you were explaining this. You, you settled for Granada, Spain. Um, why did you not stick around in Latin America? Because that's sort of where you had your first discovery. 
Yeah, I mean, I, like that first discovery, it was, you know, it was one of those bucket list trips, you know, mm -hmm. I thought I always wanted to see the Andes. And it was amazing, but I never imagined myself living there. But it was like, I'd started to, to study Spanish to, to basically have a better time during that trip. So that mm -hmm. was the initial motivation. And then I found this company uh, called Bilingual America, and they had an approach to teaching languages that was like so efficient. Mm -hmm. that, that I really hooked, you know, and I just came back from that trip and kept studying just for the fun of it. And then, hmm, you know, so I've finished now. What am I going to do with this now? And then when you sit in London and, you know, I teach contractor, you've got plenty of time. So I kept doing little trips to Spain. Mm -hmm. And one of them was basically recommended because I'd also, you know, I'd, I'd basically asked Australian friends and it was like, oh, you know, out of all the places, Granada is really magical. And that's how I came to Granada. And that's where I felt mm. sense that, <clears throat> I don't know whether you've been to Granada, but there's like, you know, the Sacramento, there is something in the air. There is like some magic to it that, that I really got pulled in by it. I really found that I hadn't had that in a different place. Mm. And that's why I thought, well, you know, I want to try, I want to see what happens because mm. I've been to a lot of places and there's a lot of times, oh, you know, I wouldn't mind coming back here one day, but not the sense I I can see myself living here. Hmm. And so, yeah, it was really, really that. Okay. And um, it, in terms of, of uh, if you want to, if you want to give the, because um, I'm looking at the time here as well, if you want to give from your, the experience, all the years of experience that you have and vast experience you have, if you get, if you would give the, uh, our audience three tips to become more culturally competent, what would they be? Uh, travel uh -huh. and travel in a more sort of independent way, like not just like my parents travel a lot, but they kind of book a trip and then they go to the hotel and, you know, well, I would think, well, you know, a little bit more off the beaten tra track, uh, learn languages. Uh -huh. I mean, even if you know, how, if you don't have any, any plans of living somewhere else, you know, but just the language learning really helps a lot. Yeah. I agree. Opens, yeah. Like more open, opens, opens, um, perspectives, mm -hmm. you know, and, And yeah, and hang around other people of different cultures, you know, when they're in your own country. I'm making some And get to know them on a personal level. You know, if you have a, like a Russian neighbor, you know, invite them over for barbecue and get to know them as, as people. Because it just, uh, yeah, it gets us off the cliches. Oh, you know, Russians are like this and Germans are like that. And I think knowing people on a personal level opens that up. Always makes you grow. Very true. Anke, if people want to get in touch with you, how can they best do that? The easiest is my website. Mm -hmm. uh, everything comes together there. It's ankeherman.com. That's A-N-K-E-H-E-R-R-M-A-N.com or passionbusinesspodcast.com. Gets you there as well. Okay. Uh, repeat the, the, the website one more time, please, for the people. It's ankeherman.com. That's a n k e h e r m a n com. Okay, cool. Got that written down. That'll be in the show notes as well. Um, so if people do want to get in touch and if they do want to stand on their own, own feet, um, uh, get in touch with Anke then. Anke, thank you so much for uh, taking the time um, out of your, I'm not really sure if it's a busy schedule or a mañana schedule in Spain at this moment. Um <laughs> 
but but nonetheless, I'm pretty sure we'll be in touch. Uh, we'll be in touch with each other in the future. Well, thank you so much for having me. All right, take care. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thanks for listening. If you haven't subscribed to this podcast, then please do so. Um, you can leave a, a review in iTunes as well. That would be great if you could do that. And the music you hear in the background is music that comes from Bensound. Check them out at bensound.com. My name is Chris Smith. This was the Culture Matters Podcast. I'll be back in two ye- two weeks, not two years, two weeks time with another podcast. And the last podcast in... Um, 2019 was with Richard Conrad when we actually talked about the culture specifically in Japan. Check out that episode as well. It's number 131. I'll see you in or talk to you in two weeks time. Thank you. That's it for this episode. Culture Matters, making you understand cultural diversity better by interviewing real people with real experiences. Your host, Chris Smith, has a plan. A plan for people who are looking for a solution.